Hi, I'm Masami Sato. I'm the founder of a global giving initiative called B101. I beat the often pass by uh, trying to imagine a new world where everything we do in our everyday life will create a tangible and positive impact in the world. And I do so by uh, supporting businesses to uh, embed the sense of purpose and mission and the impact in their everyday business activities. So that's what I do. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories to help us all think outside the box in our life and career and to add more meaning to this thing we call a career. Today, my guest is Masami Sato, one of the coolest people you're likely to meet out there. Seldom in my life have I had a conversation where I found myself so wholeheartedly agreeing with everything that was said. Masami has used her extensive life experience to build and improve a number of her own businesses, bringing care and humanity to everything she's touched. 14 years ago, she got the brilliant idea to find a way to inject giving into every business out there, creating her new company, B1G1. Through it, she makes it painfully easy for companies to do good without drastically changing their business model or what they've been doing all along. She's facilitated hundreds of millions in giving around the world at this point, and she's been recognized by major media and so much more. Just wait until you hear this story, folks. Here's Masami Sato, founder of B1G1. Well, welcome to the show. I'm so honored to have you here. I think it's such a wonderful business. When I discovered what you were doing, I thought, why didn't I think of something like that? On this show, I've talked to a lot of small business owners and some bigger business owners, people who have put mission into their business in some way. They either have a charity attached or what they're doing is fundamentally better for the planet. And that's the kind of story I love. But then I saw what you're up to and you try to inject that mission into any company. And that's such a cool idea. So can you please explain for our listeners and viewers out there what exactly your business, your B Corp model is. Okay, so, um, so B1 German helps businesses embed the giving in what they do. And this is kind of a little bit hard to imagine. So let me explain uh, in this way. So imagine if, uh, let's say, every time you have a cup of coffee, a child receives access to life-saving water. Or every time you download an ebook and learn something, then you get to plant a tree. Or every time you go to see a doctor or a chiropractor or you know, go to a gym, uh, somebody receives access to healthcare. So imagine a world where everything you do turns into a positive impact and positive act uh, in the world. So that's actually what we try to, or we make it happen, <laughs> make happen. Uh, so how we do this is that uh, B1J1 has a giving platform and then also an initiative where businesses can join us. And then when they do so, they get to um, think about the main business activities that they have. And not only about the sales activities, but something like, you know, every time uh, you know, we have a successful meeting, you know, we can celebrate that by helping educate a child for one day or planting a tree or so um, we have a more than 400 carefully selected high impact project on our portal. And then businesses can say, you know, I want to link this activity with this, uh, you know, social impact 
and then they can make that happen. And we have an API or we have automation uh, to track that simply too. And then as a result, when um, businesses are just doing what they are normally doing, they get to see that accumulating impact because it's about a small everyday action that can accumulate to create a big change. And making something habitual is more powerful than trying to do something just once off. So um, that's B1J1's kind of model to uh, enable every business to express the sense of purpose that they have. Well, I think that's brilliant. Again, it's one of those things that sounds so simple that it's like, why didn't this exist before? But obviously, it's groundbreaking in its own way. And that's what I love about it. So tell me about your own personal background. How did you get started on building this thing? What did you do before you built it? I don't know how far you want me to go back to. But Whatever you think is relevant. Uh, <laughs> We're okay. all ears it, here. It, it, right? I, um, I uh, love this quote by Steve Jobs. Um, he one day said that we can never connect the dots looking forward. You know, you can only connect the dots looking backward. So for me too, uh, I connect all the dots from right at the beginning. And then I, I think like, well, actually everything led me to be doing what I'm doing today. So if you don't mind, I would just go back right to the I beginning. don't. I love that quote. And that is so what we're all about on this show. I love it. Please go back. Okay. So when I was a young child growing up in Japan, um, I was very, very shy and I was introverted. I didn't know how to express myself. So I was probably always the you know, most quiet child in the class. Or, and I, I had this problem trying to express myself. So if I tried to talk in front of the people, then I couldn't stop my hands shaking or I started to crying. And you know, so that was me. Um, but what happened was I grew up uh, um, spending a lot of time with my grandparents who used to run a family business in a little corner shop in Tokyo. And, and I uh, enjoyed you know, spending time with them all the school holidays and uh, helping them run this business. So I was always curious and I learned a lot about just the taking care of business and you know, helping to take care of business with my grandparents. Um, but then... What happened was when I finished studying in Japan and I had this like sense of curiosity about what was happening in the world, but I was very shy and, you know, uh, in a sense, like a little bit timid too. But then one day I decided that, well, I really want to go out and see what was going on. So that's what I did. So I became a backpacker oh. <laughs> and uh, I spent a few years traveling around the world with like very little budget. And very initially cool. I studied English. I didn't even speak English then when I left Japan. Of course, so of I had course. to first study English and I uh, lived and stayed in Canada and then uh, traveled in the States too. I uh, went to Central America, studied Spanish, uh, backpacked in many places, went to Asia. And then um, uh, during that time, uh, everything was just so amazing because when I uh, suddenly lost my words, you know, because I couldn't speak English or I couldn't speak the local languages. So I just didn't have the words <laughs> to express yeah. myself. Uh, suddenly, connecting with people became much easier for me compared to how it was in Japan. Because in Japan, I was trying to say the right thing, right? Because I was Japanese, I should be able to explain myself or express myself. I say that to myself every day. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I understand. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but when you didn't have the words and you knew you couldn't say the right thing anyway, <laughs> then I just surrendered. And I thought, well, okay, I can't say many, you know, I can't use many words, but I can just smile. I could just say thank you, or I could just show the interest, the gesture. Or... Then, in that very vulnerable moment in time, I realized that the, everywhere I went, there were always people who were just caring and you know came to help me. Uh, I was when I was lost, there were people who guided me, supported me. Uh, many times, people just invited me to come and 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 visit their family and eat food together. <laughs> You know, all these things. And, yes. and I thought, oh my gosh, this is just so amazing because I used to think that people outside or things outside were foreign, which means very different. And as a result, it's very scary or we can't connect or we can't understand. Or, But it wasn't the case for me that wherever I went, I found people very similar to me in many ways. You know, many ways very different, but many ways very similar. In and fundamental then, um, ways, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I also, during that time, started to see very different realities uh, that people faced, such as, you know, even young kids uh, that, who couldn't go to school uh, because they were helping at home and working in the field or uh, kids begging on the street or uh, people with physical disability not having any help. Or, so then I started to really wonder, like, why is this happening? Because if it was happening in my own community, then surely somebody would help or do something about it. But it seems like there are lots of people who have nowhere to go and they were just getting by. And, um, but then at the same time, in those places where people had very little, they were still generous because they were saying like, oh, let's have a, come over and we have lunch together. And they were generously sharing their food. And then I used to think like, but if you give that food to me, you don't have enough for your kids, right? <laughs> and, and I felt... Uh, bad, but I eventually accepted that and realized that sometimes being able to just receive and appreciate is actually good enough. And, yes. um, <laughs> and then also when I was in like more well-to-do countries, people had enough, but then I also met the many people who didn't feel fulfilled or who felt stressed or uh, who felt that they had to do more, they had to have more to feel happy, but then they wanted really getting there and same for my parents in Japan they worked really hard but they just didn't have a time to spend in a family or they were always stressed when I was growing up so all of this thoughts and feelings and trying to question why is this happening like why are we damaging the world like destroying environment or um, and then eventually, <laughs> sorry, this story is quite long. No, I love every I word. I am you. just nodding. I'm like, this is exactly <laughs> what I'm all about. I love every word. Please continue. <laughs> so, so what happened at that time? I was a quite simplistic person. So I thought, hmm, like, you know, maybe businesses and consumerism is creating these like problems for us and for the world. So if I just stopped buying things, maybe I will contribute less to the bad <laughs> that's happening. So what I did was when I eventually went back to Japan, I um, uh, decided to move to countryside and then uh, let go of everything, uh, possessions, so that I could learn to make everything, you know, grow food with the farmers, uh, learn to 
build a house or even, you know, make potteries or clothes. Or... So I did that for two years, living in uh, this small community, you know, learning from farmers practicing organic natural farming and learning to live with nature. And um, that was very profound time for me because um, I learned a lot. And when I first started that, I was judging the world, you know, things are wrong. And that's why I wanted to do the right thing. And then that's why I went there. But then when um, I reached the end of two years, what I realized was that I was actually wrong to judge because even in this rural community, we still enjoy the sharing things. We exchange things. We bought things. You know, sometimes we had to buy a tool so that we can throw the ground. And so um, I couldn't disconnect myself from the world if I wanted to just enjoy living and sharing things with people I liked and cared about. So I thought, yeah, there, there are lots of things I learned, but it wasn't how to be right. <laughs> and, um, and there was this like inherent sense of trust and this security in these communities because even though we didn't have a lot and also sometimes we got hit by uh, an unexpected storm or you know climate issues but we trusted each other so if anybody in the community has an issue we all come together to help so that's why when um, uh, you know you are always willing to help but at the same time you're not afraid too much about what happened to me when something goes wrong because you know that we are here together. Yeah. So that, that was really powerful. But the, another pow, uh, powerful thing I learned at that time was the concept of giving first. And so if you are a farmer and you want to have abundance, you want to have a, you know, plenty of crops like at the end of the year, one thing you had to do or you always assume that you do, everybody do, is to um, nurture the soil you know, give to the soil first and right. learn about the natural cycles and, you know, find a way to work with that in the best possible way and always appreciate what we have, but also to give consciously and uh, give first, right? Yes. Because rather than get first. Right. <laughs> mm, so, so that was that. And then, so that like all that learning and all the experiences and all the people I met inside, uh, that led to the formation of B1J1, but it didn't happen because I tried to design this perfect thing, but it just happened because one day uh, in New Zealand, when I was living in New Zealand a uh, couple of years after that, I became a mom. And I had a baby in my arm. <laughs> and uh, at that time, uh, until that time, I knew the problems of the world, but they were big things. And I was a little person. I couldn't fix those big problems. And that was what, how I felt. But when I had my daughter and I looked at her and then I felt that I would do anything for her, you know, to make sure that she's safe, she, she's happy. But then I suddenly started to see the faces of other kids that I met when I was backpacking and, you know, connecting with people and the people who were genuinely just caring and sharing meals with me. And then I thought, like, what happened if my daughter happened to be one of those kids? And then the world said, sorry, you know, we, no are, we, don't, we can't no change way. the world. <laughs> yeah. We can't change the world. We can't do anything. Then 
what happened? And then I thought, okay, well, I still can't change the world, but maybe I should do something. And then I became an entrepreneur. So with a three-month-old baby on my back, I started my first business, which was food company. And, um, and I wanted that food company to uh, succeed so that we could give all the profits away to help um, feed and educate the street children. So that was the kind of like my initial entry to the entrepreneurship. And then eventually with the food company, um, we were trying to give back, but it was just so hard. You know, we are always chasing for success. And one day, you know, when we become really successful, we could do this. And then one day I just thought like, oh, actually this is crazy because we're not doing anything. You know, five years later, we're still growing business. Business is bigger, but we're not doing anything. And then this just simple idea came to me. You know, what if we just gave one meal from every meal we sold. And then we didn't need to wait anymore. We could just allocate a small budget from every sale of our product, at that time packaged frozen meals we are selling in Australia. And then we could actually embed that sense of giving and caring in our product and share that with our team and say, you know, thank you for doing this. Every time you are packing your food, you are helping a child receive a meal. And uh, everything changed. So anyway, then in 2007, I sold the company in Australia and moved to Singapore to start to be one to one. So that's wow. that kind of long story. Of that's a wonderful story. <laughs> Do you know what I wish I had? I wish that I had a green rubber stamp that had a check mark on it. I would go back through every single thing you just said and stamp every word because I agree <laughs> with everything you just said. And so much of my own mm. story is similar. Traveling is a key component yet again, and it was for me. And those realizations that we're all human, that we're all the same, that we all mm -hmm. have the same needs, and that everybody is so generous. I've experienced all of that myself every time mm -hmm. I've traveled, and it's such a powerful feeling. And, and you're not alone. Many entrepreneurs have gotten their idea. Uh, Phil Knight, the shoe dog memoir from Nike, uh, Blake Mykoski from Tom's mm. went to Argentina and decided to do a buy one, give one model. So a lot of people mm. traveling is the spark that gets them thinking about what can I do with my own business, which I just think is awesome. I do have one quick question, though. So you started your first business, a food company. Mm. How did you fund that business? Did you have outside funding? Did you do it yourself? <laughs> Well, I don't know why you asked that question, but we had no funding. Okay. I'll, I'll so tell you let, why let I asked. Okay, go ahead, please. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Tell okay. me why you I'll asked. I'll tell you why, I, because I think that there are so many people that I know, and the reason that I created this show was to help give people templates for how to make more meaning out of their life. I wanted to show mm. people, here are some examples mm. of people who have mm -hmm. beaten the often path and have succeeded, and I know so many people who have a desire in their heart to do something good. They have a desire to give back to the world, a general sense of I want to be more and maybe I want to use business to become more. But I think a lot of business books gloss over that moment between an idea and the first execution. They'll say Warren mm. Buffett was sitting at home and the next thing he was a millionaire. It's mm. like, but wait, 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 mm. rewind, rewind. <laughs> How did we start the first thing? How did we get going in the first thing? Because a lot of people feel they need something external to start, whether it's funding or approval. And here you are with a three-month-old baby. You have an idea in your head. So that moment is incredibly important and interesting to me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> so we didn't have money. Um, and uh, so one way to start a business when you have little money or no money is uh, to find a business that you can buy for not, almost nothing <laughs> because uh, I'm very sorry, but th- there are lots of businesses that are not doing well, owner lost the passion, want to get out, but there's a lease agreement, so can't get out. And you know, there are businesses like this. So if you are not picky, then you might go find those businesses that you can buy and that might give you at least like existing equipment or, you know, that kind of thing. So we, the, my first business was a takeaway food bar in the industrial area uh, and the owner wanted to get out. So he was very happy that we were happy to pay, uh, buy his business for like $1,000. <laughs> and right. then we had everything. So, but of course the business was losing money so you got to work hard to start making money, like, you know, be, being profitable. So I had my daughter, you know, on my back every day. I was getting up at 5 a.m., making sandwiches, burgers, hot dogs, serving truck drivers, factory workers. And um, here I am, you know, previously I was into organic, natural food, <laughs> healthy eating. And then I was having burgers and chips. And then, uh, but, you know, if you take the judgment out of anything, right, like you are willing to do anything, but you try to do good things. So I uh, was serving burgers and chips. And then uh, eventually, like we, we were, taught, you know, having great time with these truck drivers who would come every morning. And then gradually I would start sneaking some lettuce into their burgers, <laughs> you know, add some nice quiche and salad for the ladies working in the offices and then eventually this business became very popular so we had like track jam in in the lunchtime and you know people were queuing up like out of the door um, for buying food and so event very quickly like within six months we tripled the turnover and the business started to do well and uh, then we bought another um little business which was ice cream takeaway food but uh, also and then um, we made that into a kind of chain business so we have now two businesses and eventually we sold the business because it was you know we were actually making money so we could sell it at a higher price so with that in mind like in place in New Zealand we then decided to move to Australia for bigger opportunity and then at that time we had a little bit more money <laughs> to start the next thing so sometimes like uh, if we don't overthink and then feel like unless we have this, 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 we can't start anything. Yeah. Yeah, if we just think about, okay, we, we have this, we only have this, what do we do? Right? Like then maybe we can find a starting point that is uh, possible <laughs> as long as we don't judge. <laughs> that is so cool. And it sets the trend that I think would become a theme of your life later of improving something that exists. And you mentioned earlier, farmers must first seek to understand the cycle as it is before they begin trying to get food from the ground. Mm. Jim Rohn, are you familiar with Jim Rohn? Mm, Yeah, a little bit. He was a famous motivational speaker here in the United States of a previous generation, but he often talked about the metaphor of seed and soil. If you have seed and soil and water, you play into the laws of the world. Now, you could have seed, soil, and sunshine and water, and a plant might not grow. But if you don't have those things, a plant will definitely not grow. So we must plant. Like you said, we must nurture the soil first. We must give 
before we get. And one thing that is really standing out to me about your journey is you looked at the world as it existed and you said, how can I make that world 10% better? How can I take the hamburger and instead of just ripping it from somebody's hand, I'll put lettuce <laughs> on top of it. <laughs> Initially sneaking in. Right. I'll sneak <laughs> and even it in. people think, oh, it's okay to have lettuce, actually. <laughs> it's so simple, but there's so much power in that. And then you say to yourself, what if I snuck in some goodness into other companies? What if I created a company that's mission is to sneak in some good things in a company that maybe <laughs> never thought about it before? Mm. Does that sound <laughs> That's right? That's a good, interesting, interesting way of looking at it because, uh, yeah, like, I, I mean, like, because, you know, the putting the letters in didn't come from like, a, you know, you shouldn't do bad or anything. It's just like, a, oh, maybe all these people should eat a little bit more, you know, vegetable and get a little bit more vitamin because I cared about them. <laughs> Like we were friends and we formed the relationships. So when you start to do things like through the genuine sense of caring and in a kind of like fun way or gentle way, or then actually there is not much resistance. And sometimes it just becomes like even, you know, makes the connection even better because we realize that, oh, actually I see the goodness in them and they see the intention in us. And then that creates like a stronger sense of connection. So for me, like every business I run, like because B1J1 is the most recent, you know, 14 years kind of my focus, but other businesses I run or I worked in, I always felt that the, the real power of business is that sense of care, you know, and then that I learned from my grandparents in, when, in their business, like they were running this business and, and they, they always thought the customers were the kind of most important uh, partners of their business. So the care they put into the day, daily interaction or how they treat the customers or how they form connections. I learned so much from how, you know, just seeing how they run this simple, tiny business. And um, I think large businesses, it's tricky because we need to balance lots of other things like business executives, like shareholders, expectation, this and that profit. But I think if business can just have this like central feeling of the care, within the company for the people who work for the company as well as the customers we serve, then yeah, like I, I think we can solve so many problems just because of that. That's absolutely wonderful. I love every piece of that. So when you set out to start B1G1, you've got this great new concept, you're ready to do it. Did you just begin approaching companies? What was the first idea that got that off the ground? Uh, so, <laughs> so it, the idea is magical because from day one, you know, we were saying, imagine if every time you had a coffee and then <clears throat> we used it at that, that time, uh, John Lennon's Imagine Song. And I created this like very simple movie with just a black screen with just text fro floating up. Imagine if every time you have a cup of coffee, <laughs> then, then people go like, oh, I get it. I get it. And then, but the problem was, um, how do we then make it happen? <laughs> we didn't know how to make it happen, but we knew that, well, it's about the businesses thinking about what, what action in their business can create a certain good. And then we need to figure out how 
do we help make that good in the world? And that means then the connections with all sort of charity organizations and their work and working together to really like break down their activities because, you know, building a well, of course, like there are lots of activities to build well because it's one of the ways to bring clean water, but that could cost like five, $6,000 to build sure. a well. So one person or one business cannot say, okay, we pay for that entire well. So taking that into like, then how to break it down? Like how many years does this well last? How many people are in the community? And then how many uh, then people in the family uh, and so on? Then through that breakdown, then we get to a point, oh, actually bringing clean water to one person for one day is two cents or one cent. Or Then suddenly there is the possibilities of how our everyday small thing can create great good, such as every email you are sending to somebody can actually make this impact happen if you are happy to give in a budget one cent for every email. <laughs> so yeah, so that's the kind like of much. magic. And, but it took a very long time actually to yeah. at least to in, establish the initial system, the methodology, the enough number of charities to work with us. And yeah, but then in the, in the beginning when we didn't have a, much to promise like features or benefits or we just told the story and said, if you believe in this mission, then we want you to come in and join us and create this together. And then actually like uh, enough number of people, you know, business owners said, yes. <laughs> Sounds great. Because you made it easy for them. You made it easy for them to give back. Which before, mm, yeah. like you said, they it wasn't might not have too had any easy idea. at the beginning. Was there a lot of resistance? Was there a lot of resistance? Uh, no, no, no. Said, no, you're I mean, crazy? Like, no, no, no. Um, okay. When I say it wasn't easy at the beginning, it wasn't for me or for us, but it was for the businesses because we didn't have a great uh, you know, project list. Or, so in the beginning, businesses needed to say, like, okay, we want to support this course and then sign an agreement or, and then we ask them to give us money every month. Or, so there was just like a very troublesome way of giving in the beginning. Sure. And it wasn't clear, you know, we, we couldn't articulate how the process worked that well. Or, so in a sense, it, we didn't make it easy for businesses to say, yeah, I want to do that. But the only thing we said, we, we communicated pretty well was to remind everybody that the reason why they all went into business wasn't just for money. They all had some ideas, something that they wanted to do, something they cared about. So we were just sharing the invitation to join in the giving movement and the giving world and to be the partner to make it happen together. So even when we didn't have a perfect system and it was troublesome, there were people who were still joining. And today it's different. It's an online subscription model. So it's easy for anybody to join. Any small company can join easily. And it's very clear, like once you create an account, how to set up your giving story and you know make a contribution. It's very straightforward. But it wasn't that before. Mm -hmm. And uh, we didn't make it easy either. But still, um, I think this... Um, desire to create good in the world exists in, all, I think, all of us. That's profound. Ordinarily, I would take this moment in the show to have a little bit of a commercial where I ask you to like and share and subscribe to the podcast to help me grow it, but I'm going to forego that this time, as I sometimes do, and I'm going to ask you instead 
to marinate in your own company, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're working for somebody else, how can you inject giving into what you're doing? Can you work with B1G1? Can you find a way to mimic the good that she has done? So that's it. Your homework is to think about how you can add more giving into your own work and life. That's all. Now back to the episode. And in the beginning, you're saying, trust me, I don't have a track record yet, but trust me. And it took a leap of faith from those first few clients. But eventually, I'm imagining the ball started rolling and then it became easier. You said, hey, look at these. Now you have how many? 2,500 companies? Uh, yeah, 3,000. 3,000? Businesses. Okay. Yeah, working with us. And, um, and then these businesses have, over the years, together created more than 270 million giving impacts. And the giving impacts could be like uh, funding a microloan or giving a goat to a family or uh, planting a tree. Or so, so the impacts can be so many different things. But um, yeah, we always uh, look at this whole thing in terms of the impact, then positive change and smiles we get to create rather than like dollars raised for charity ABC. So um, yeah, we're just so grateful that uh, uh, we are here 14 years later. Yes. <laughs> we still exist and we we're doing... Exist better than ever before. And we are looking forward to inviting many, many more businesses to join us because it's important time now that next decade, we really need to make more change. Businesses need to stand up and do good and not to just wishing, but to take actions that we can take so that it's not too late, like in 10 years time. That's so true. Now, in the first 14 years that you have done this, have there been unexpected things that you have seen because it was like an experiment, I think, this whole thing. It's, and it's proven to be a successful experiment. Has there been something that's come back that you feel like was unexpected or a, an outcome that you didn't foresee from doing this when you started? Mm. Because when I... Because um, some business people could be very like goal-oriented. And then they might have a big numbers like and say, this is what we have to achieve. And then they work toward that goal. And some people are very good at doing that. Uh, to me, like at the personal level, even at the organizational level, of course we set goals, but at the personal level, for me, like the big numbers or goals ahead of us really doesn't, like they don't matter too much. But for me, like how I feel on the day-to-day -day basis about the things that we are doing together and how I feel grateful for others in the team and appreciate the people who are doing things right now rather than like trying to think about the future and then think, thinking like, oh, we are still not there yet kind of mm -hmm. you know, thing. So I, I always feel like that's kind of my own KPI. My own KPI is that every day I feel grateful. Every day I feel uh, the sense of meaning. And every day I feel that I can uh, support everybody else to feel that. So that's kind of like my mission on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think that when we are in the giving space, one kind of dilemma I went through initially was like when um, sometimes like giving could create challenges. Uh, so if somebody is begging on the street and then you just give money without even looking at the person and thinking about anything. And sometimes like this act of giving could be creating some unintended consequences, you know, such as like, uh, or 
uh, tipping big time uh, for you know the hotel, like people working in the hotel. And then we discovered later on that that tip sometimes went for drinking budget for the men. And then uh, women at home were actually being beaten. Or so sometimes like we think, oh, we have a lot, and there are people who have less, so we give. Right, like, but then there could be unintended consequences with the giving. So it's always like being mindful about that. But also, um, I realized that the best form of giving was when we had no expectation, like for self-benefit. So uh, if like companies gave lots of money, but they were thinking that, okay, like, you know, we want to present impressive big checks or we give to these poor people. And we're going to help them because they are poor. But like if the thinking was that way, then the recipient of the funds might feel like, oh, we are the poor people. <laughs> and so we need to continuously receive more money because they have a lot. So they should give us more. <laughs> you know, like, so this kind of imbalance could be created. But I've witnessed different way of how the giving could actually uplift all um, when the givers also understand that they are the recipient. You know, they are the recipient of good that they get to do. And then also honor the people who are receiving side of the deed or funds as equals. You know, they are the ones doing great things in their circumstance and uplifting the community and leading the change in that difficult situation. And we just happen to have a, uh, you know, some means to help enable them. And then, uh, then the people who are doing those things on the ground feel like honored. You know, they are given yeah. a little bit of help for them to be able to do what they know they can do. Right. And then as a result, these people become like a next generation of givers. And I've seen that like a whole cycle because we've been here for 14 years. I've seen a whole cycle of this, how like somebody who received the help stand up to become the next giver. And that is really the magic and the power of it. And it all happens because we remove judgment, you know, rich or poor or good or bad or right way and wrong way. We remove that judgment, but we believe in the human essence of this giving spirit. And then when we connect the dots in a transparent, clear, efficient, powerful way, then lots of good can happen because of that. That is so remarkable. I love that. So of the 14 years, it sounds to me like you've had a lot of incredible joy what has been the biggest challenge? Have there been moments where it looked like it would all fall apart? Has it been smooth sailing or have there been times when it's been incredibly tough? I, I, I don't think like anybody who you interviewed with, uh, so far Not would have said, oh, smooth sailing. It was easy. Well, some <laughs> wow. people. I'm still trying to get Jerry Seinfeld on the show. It was easy for him. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like, I, I would say easy or hard, if it was just about how you take it, then some people would take it easier. But in reality, on physical happenings in the lives of, you know, entrepreneurs or business owners, change makers, <laughs> social entrepreneurs, I don't think no, anybody would like have a, this smooth ride. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, how tough or easy you see it could 
be up to you as well. So for me, like, even though I could get attached to things or I could get like, you know, feel sad or happy or, or all that emotion comes and go. But for me, like there is this like inherent consistent messaging to remind myself of all throughout the journey, which is that, you know, this is, this is a game. This is like a game. And then because we are playing this together with people, you know, we chose to play this game and um, sometimes we win, sometimes we lose, sometimes it's smooth, sometimes it's hard, sometimes we, we have a setback and go back to the beginning or, you know, all these things happen in the game. And we need to learn the tactic, techniques or strategy and the people like, and, and create more supporters and community. And so we are playing this game. And then, um, but the, ultimately, um, when we play a game, any game, you know, like the board game or ultimately the purpose of game is not to win. It's not about you winning the game. Purpose is to enjoy the game and then to share that enjoyment with others. That's the purpose of the game. So for me, if we can just to see it as a game, then when bad things happen to you or setback, then of course, yeah, that's tough. You lose the point that you worked hard for, but you could at least be a little bit like, like you know, uh, take the distance <laughs> from the issue and then go like, yeah, I lost this time, but I will just continue. Next time, maybe we gain <laughs> or something, or we just need to work harder, catch up. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I feel like uh, never a smooth ride, but smooth is not fun. <laughs> it's fun. To, the ups and downs are part of it. That's part of what yeah. makes it fun. Yeah. You don't want shoots and ladders with only ladders. You don't want only upward momentum. Sometimes <laughs> yeah, you have nobody designed that game, right? Right. <laughs> if, Sometimes if you're you get a game the big designer. slide right when you get to the top, and you got to go all the way back. Sometimes you don't. Do you think that your mission on a day-to-day basis? Do you wake up energized because you have a greater mission, or are there still some days where you say, "I don't feel like doing this"? Uh. I feel like like almost all the time, or but they, of course I wouldn't pretend that there were days I feel like, uh. <laughs> you know, like so they, they, yeah, there there were, but I consistently feel that you know this is uh, uh, very meaningful, like not because of uh, the fact that we have a giving initiative. Um, you know, people say like, oh, you are running a social enterprise and giving, you know, doing good. So it must be really uh, meaningful for you, right? But that, I don't think meaningfulness comes from what we are doing, um, but the meaningfulness comes from why we are doing something. So when I was running a takeaway food bar and then serving truck drivers, it was meaningful for me because every day had something and we were trying to make the improvement from where we were. Um, so it was meaningful. I got up each morning tired physically, but I still felt the sense of meaning and sense of purpose. So like lots of people might say sometimes like, oh, my, I'm just working for this corporate, you know, like a big company and they're just yeah. making profit. So I don't feel so much sense of meaning and purpose. Or, but the thing is, Actually, like in order for us to move from there to living every day with a sense of, of meaning and purpose may not be about changing what we do, 
but changing how we see what we are doing. And then in that same exact situation, if we just find that like something that's worthwhile to do, like maybe, you know, this company's culture is not very good, but I'm just going to spread the joy <laughs> in my to my colleagues and, uh, or, you know, just to be more caring and uh, uh, express that. Or So when people could just switch that, um, uh, feeling and thinking from where they are at, then naturally, I'm sure they will continue to find, uh, you know, greater sense and, and meaning and purpose. And what they do might gradually change because of that, but not because what it is is wrong right now, but what it is is what it is right now. But we could actually change the way we see it. And by changing the way we see it, then what we do could evolve, I think. Yeah. So you'd be an advocate of if you're stuck in a corporate job that you don't like, just find a way to make that 10% better. Find a way to add a little bit of lettuce to your day job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, because I, I actually value, like, uh, people working in corporate and, you know, doing lots of things because those businesses or even like a little shop over there, uh, making things better for someone or lots of, for lots of people. And they have the power and ability to change things in the way that uh, nothing else can. Because businesses is very powerful, like uh, because we have a you know politics or we have an association or so you know foundation or there are lots of other organizations. But businesses are like a dynamic entity, which could be a little bit sneaky in making change because they would just like go across the borders and uh, start popping up in people's lives like when nobody's thinking about it. And then people suddenly find like, well, I actually like this. And then it changes the behavior of people and the mindset of people as well. So businesses have this ability to touch lives with, without the judging, you know, and and so I think if people in business all recognize the power that they already have to do some form of good, then the world is going to become a you know really really lovely place. We can solve all the problems together. That's right. And you know, one thing that anybody who listens or watches could do if they're working in a corporate environment, they could do this one thing, and they could make their company and their life better. They could convince their boss to have their company sign up for B1G1. Yes? <laughs> so if you're in that system, that's one thing that you can do. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that's one thing that you can do right now to make things 10% better. So you've had 14 years of success. Fantastic. And it's only going to get better from here, I can tell. You've also done public speaking and other types of engagements. You've been recognized mm -hmm. by some media like Forbes, Tell me about that side of your life, especially as somebody who said when they grew up, they were very shy and afraid to talk <laughs> to people. Now your English is amazing, I can say. How do you feel about that part of your life now? Uh, well, well, first of all, uh, I'm not good at, like, I, I'm still introverted. So if, I, if you send me to a networking event and say, Masami, go off network with people, I will be in the corner or try to stay in the toilet or something. I'm not good at this like mingling in the bigger yeah. group. I love having one-on-one -on -one conversation like this because Same. you know that is like just connecting right? like rather than trying to impress somebody. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm not good at it. But um, uh, what I also realized was that when I was feeling like afraid 
of talking or expressing or connecting, um, I was actually afraid because I was judging that maybe these people would judge me. You know, they wouldn't like what I hear. And then I was making all these like assumptions about others. And then as a result, I was afraid always. Um, but when I took out the judgment, okay, people may not like this, but I, I, I want to enjoy connecting with them. <laughs> and that it'd be okay, like if we had the different ideas or uh, I'm, because I'm very curious about hearing different ideas. So I don't want to judge their ideas. I want to be curious about what they have to say and why they think that way. So then like suddenly, Talking and expressing, connecting, exchanging ideas became very easy, like, no worries. <laughs> and then another thing uh, is when I said, uh, if you see this as a game, everything changes. And for me, that everything changed the moment was when I saw it as a game and I suddenly realized it wasn't about me. It wasn't about, it, I, I was not like the central thing. I was just like this piece in this game board with lots of other pieces playing it together. And for a temporary period of time, I was given a kind of like assignment to take care of this piece, you know, for this game. So I'm moving with this game, but observing what goes on. Sometimes this piece like does weird things <laughs> right. and fail or say wrong thing or you know, make mistakes. Or, That's my piece. But I'm not attached yeah. to this. <laughs> like, right. That's just this thing. Can and I still get a so, new piece? Is it? Is there time in the game for another piece or am I stuck with uh, this piece? <laughs> you could, you could try to swap the piece with somebody okay. sometimes. And yeah, say, I might need yeah, to do that. Like, I don't, I don't really like my piece at yeah. the moment. Could you take care of it for a while? <laughs> Can I borrow your piece for 15 minutes, please? That's such yeah, a good so I, I see it that way. So it doesn't matter like when, you know, it's podcast or interview with like media. Okay, do it, do it. It's okay. But I'm not attached to this. And, and any recognition that people give, like I'm also mindful that, they, well, it's actually not about me because it's about the people and businesses that supported this idea. They deserve the recognition right like not, not me so, mm -hmm. so i don't really like feel uh, intimidated by that anymore that's so <laughs> wonderful okay so the big question on a scale from 0 to 100 how fulfilled or satisfied are you with your life as it stands today right now this very moment uh <laughs> that number question is very difficult because if I said 100, then people will go, yeah, can't be like, you know, you can't be 100% because you can never move up from there. That means everything goes downhill. Right? <laughs> so how do they say the number? So I would just uh, say actually 50%, which is stay, makes me in the middle, even though I'm fulfilled, I feel fulfilled. But of course, like, uh, fulfillment is not about like being the top top and say oh that is 100% so I was just staying 50% and then 50% being okay like I, like every day I just go with it <laughs> the middle way you've chosen the middle way I love that okay mm -hmm. let's, sometimes let's... like I feel I feel more excited or more bit down but sure. anyway yeah <laughs> well let's let's reframe it slightly so 14 years into this mission in the next 14 years what would you like to have achieved in the next 14 years? Uh, in the next 14 years, I, if I could every single day feel connected and to be grateful for 
all the things that happen and the people that I get to play the next 14 years of game with, then that's the kind of most ambitious goal. I don't know if I really <laughs> meet this target, but I will remind myself because I said it now. Um, but the uh, B1J1 itself as an organization is set to uh, reach tens of thousands of businesses in, in the next uh, five to 10 years. And uh, then that will allow us to create billions of uh, social impacts around the world. And I hope that uh, we get to work with many more amazing businesses and causes that are doing great things so that we could be proactively taking tackling challenges, upcoming challenges, and then to, to be part of the world that where you know our children and grandchildren can enjoy this beauty of the nature and the diversity and the culture and all that kind of thing. So um, yeah. What a great goal. Well, I, for one, am profoundly grateful for the chance to connect with you. So thank you very much for sharing your story. I loved every single part of it. And as I often want to do towards the end of our hour together, I want to give you the final word here in this show. So what can people do to support you? Where can they find you? Or if there's an action that you want people to take right now, what would you like that to be? Okay, so uh, if anybody's interested to learn more about the B1J1 initiative, then please go to b1j1.com, you know, b1g1.com. And then uh, if, if you forget this naming because it's not easy to remember, then you can search buy one, give one or buy something, one, then one. we will come back as well. And so that's one. And another thing is I uh, like to connect with people on LinkedIn. Um, that's kind of my preferred uh, media. So if you want to find me on LinkedIn, then you can search Masami Sato and then you can follow me or connect with me. Or if your company is interested to explore uh, how you can embed you know, social impact in what you are doing, then please reach out to me, message me, and then we can take you through like how that could work with your business as well. So thank you for the opportunity, Rose, for letting me share. And it's been a great, great pleasure. So much fun. <laughs> the pleasure is entirely mine. I support, I, it, it feels superfluous, but I support everything you believe and I support everything you've done. You probably think, oh, he's an overly flattering American, but I genuinely do believe in your story and how you got there and what you're doing. That is absolutely the truth. So keep on doing what you're doing. Your philosophy is excellent, I think, and you have attained that rare thing. And you don't have to admit this, but I believe you have attained that rare thing that people search for called wisdom that so few people have. And I'm going to take a lot of real joy away from listening back to this when I edit it. And I'm going to try to remember that lesson about seeing life as a game and what can I do with my peace in the next five to 14 years. I'm going to think about that one a lot. So with that, the official podcast is over. That's it for the Beat the Often Path podcast, folks. I'm Ross Palmer, your host. Join me every Friday as I showcase more unusual success stories, people living outside the box and who are making the planet a better place. It's not enough to focus on the people that we hate. We've got to take the time to celebrate and focus on the people out there who are actively making the world a better place. And of that, Masami Sato is certainly one. So again, if you love this show, please rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe, share, tell a friend, introduce this show. I can't help 
but grow this community and spread these kinds of messages without you. So that's all I ask. If you've gotten any value from this whatsoever, just share and help me grow the podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Ross Palmer, and I will see you next Friday on the Beat the Often Path podcast.